It turns out there was a Backstreet Boys comic book that Stan Lee did with Nick Carter. Do you see my face? Yeah. Backstreet's back, all right? Right. <laughs> all you people, can't you see, can't you see? <laughs> Yay. Welcome to Tencent Takes, the show where we literally can't take anything seriously, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I am joined by my co-host, the personification of dad jokes himself, Mike Thompson. Hey, did you hear about the two fish in the tank? No. One of them turned to the other and said, so do you know how to drive this thing? (laughs) Perfect. No, no. You're welcome. How you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing all right. Perfect. Wow. That's good. (laughs) I'm sure things could be better, but they could be worse, right? I mean, (laughs) the inside joke, everyone, is that I got laid off along with like 30% of my company last week. So we've been. Is it a joke? Is it? Well, (laughs) It, it doesn't feel quite as dire thanks to California and how we have basic worker protections, which is something that we were talking about before the show. Ugh, man. Anyway, to sum things up, we are pro-workers' rights, pro-unions, and anti-corporate capitalism. That is all. Factually. Down with capitalism. (laughs) Burn it all down! (laughs) From your lips to God's ears. (laughs) If you're new to the show, everyone, our main episodes don't always start like this, but they do drop every other week and provide in-depth looks into interesting moments in comic books and how they tie into pop culture and history. But that's not today, because today is one of our Dollar Bin Discoveries mini-episodes that we do in between those deep dives. Because we spend a lot of time rooting through dollar bins at local shops, looking for interesting stuff, and while a lot of the issues we find are fun and weird, there may not be quite enough for us to do a deep dive on at the moment, but we do always reserve the right to change our mind later on that. So each episode will feature both of us talking about one random issue that we came across in the dollar bins, one that fits a theme that one of us chose this week, my theme. We have playful parodies. So we each chose a parody comic. And we'll talk about what it is, what goes on inside it, and why it's interesting. So these are mini episodes that are meant to provide you with some weekly content between our more in-depth discussions about the weirder and more interesting moments of comic book history. So, Mike, Mm -hmm. why don't you get us rolling on your parody? I am coming to the show today with The Adventures of Rick Raygun and Quasi-Nodos, number one. I came across this in a thrift store in Sebastopol was published in september of 1986 by stop dragon comics stop dragon was an indie imprint in paducah kentucky that managed to put out five issues of the series in a one shot of something called talons with a z before they shut down it looks like they were another victim of the black and white indie imprint implosion of the late 80s it was created written and drawn by rudy holmes edited by jeff dunkerson 
and shaded by Sharon Holmes, Jeff Dunkerson, and Rudy Holmes. So I want you to look at the cover for this, and you can see why I chose this as a parody. Oh, <laughs> that's very funny. So it has, it says Rick Raygun and Quasi Nodos, and it is a man standing in the center. He has very large muscles. He's wearing kind of your classic space suit and he's got a helmet and there's like mm-hmm. a little little martian next to him very cartoony martian that could be a rabbit looking right. martian yeah and behind him are the kind of tunnel rings from looney tunes yeah right like so you look at yeah. this and you're like oh, okay so this is going to be like kind of campy and funny like Nodos is the little green sidekick. He looks kind of like a blend of the Noid from 80s Domino Pizza ads and then like the Grinch. Like that's that's about the best way I can describe him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, Like I said, this is a black and white comic about Ion Cops, Rick Raygun and his partner, Quasi Nodos. The intro tells us that they patrol a group of backwater planets known as the Hamstone Belt in their Class 3D police cruiser. Okay? So it's setting it up and it feels very silly. We then see Quasi and Rick are just finishing some repairs to the ship when they intercept a scrambled transmission from someone saying that they have apprehended the target but they need help. But Rick basically says we can't do anything about that right now because we don't know who's sending that out and i've also just picked up a distress call about a downed police cruiser on the planet manhattan 7 they rush to the planet and touch down in what should be the busiest part of the city only to find it a total ghost town rick wonders where everyone is and quasi goes maybe it's bath night they walk into a (laughs) casino (laughs) they walk into a casino and they find it full of dead bodies the aftermath of what looks like a laser battle the two space cops find a woman who seems to be kind of on something. She's babbling nonsense and then passes out. They continue scouting around. They find a number of dead bodies in the alley behind the building, including an ion cop, two local policemen, and a couple of random crooks. The ensuing investigation reveals the wounds all match the standard issue weapon for ion cops, but there's still another ion cop missing. Quasi is like, oh, so this ion cop killed the crooks, accidentally shot the local cops, and then killed himself. And Rick has to go, mm, no, this is way worse. It, He's like, it's weird because it looks like someone was smuggling artifacts and, and then something bad happened. Um, but there is still a missing ion cop and they now need to find his partner. So Rick and Quasi find a crowd milling around a skyscraper with the local cops saying that they have an ion patrolman trapped on the top floor of the building after murdering two local cops. Oh, and he has a hostage. Quasi goes off to get in position, and that's like the last we see of him. And Rick climbs the ladder inside the building to meet the ion cop. Why he has to climb a ladder as opposed to like go up an elevator? Not sure, but it's like a bell tower, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we meet the the ion cop who killed everybody else. His name is Perches. Rick gets to the floor with Perches, who also has some kind of canister alongside a terrified looking woman in what I can only describe as a sci-fi version of an 80s aerobics outfit. Purchase says he's in too deep and he tells Rick to back off right before the woman knocks the canister over and enrages Purchase. Purchase kicks Rick in the face and examines the canister which is glowing and it seems to turn him into like kind of a slobbering violent psychopath. He tries to shoot Rick and then he throws the woman over the edge of the platform to be continued. So 
Yikes. Yeah. But we also get a short comic called Quasi's Journal, where Quasi is basically in his office telling us about an old case he and Rick worked. In this one, he and Rick get into a dogfight with some space pirates who speak and look exactly like traditional pirates, only they have a modern spaceship, but they've got like the bandanas, <laughs> they've got the eye patches, they, you know, arr, all that. Nice. Rick and Quasi crash land on a planet. They are cornered by the pirate crew. And then Rick appears to get mowed down by the crooks, but just then the pirates learn their computer cracked the code for the video game palace on Rhombus 121. So they dogpile back into their ship and head out to rob the place. Only for it to be revealed that Rick is fine and he faked the signal to the pirate ship with his belt's buckle comm link. And the pirates are heading into a trap where there's a bunch of ion police waiting for them. Back to Quasi at his desk talking to us. And Quasi says that he knows Rick was just putting on a show to scare him. But he says he never fell for it just as he falls out of his chair. Like, this book is so weird and not necessarily in a good way. Like the cover, like you said, it it was like, you know, aping that general vibe of the old Looney Tunes cartoons. It promises this very weird satire. And that's not really what we get. It feels like a send up to Buck Rogers and Judge Dredd, but it's a little bit too faithful to really work as satire. Like it's a little bit too serious. Likewise, the art is a little bit too serious with the exception of Quasi. Who reminds me a lot of that old Domino's pizza mascot, the Noid. Like everything else in the story feels like a very earnest, albeit kind of amateur sci-fi story. And while the backup feels a little bit more cartoony and silly, none of it really quite works. Like the whole book comes across as something that was made by very enthusiastic amateurs. And it definitely suffers because I don't think they'd really honed in on what they wanted the book to be. So it's like, it's an attempt at parody, but I'm going to say it's not really a successful one. Okay. That's but fair. again, yeah, like, you know, again, dollar bin comics, you know, it's always you a gamble. Win them all. Yeah. What about you, though? Well, this week I chose a really fun one. This is Marvel's Power Pachyderms. I feel like I've heard of this. I feel like I've seen this cover. I can almost envision it in my mind's eye. <laughs> Let me, uh, I'm actually going to send you the cover and I'm going to send you the cover that it is based on. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. I have seen this. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is very much an homage to the original X-Men comic with the X-Men attacking Magneto in his field. And they're all trying to bludgeon it while he's protected. So in this one, let's see, we have, they're all like anthropomorphized elephants? Yes. <laughs> okay. So we have one who's supposed to be Cyclops. He's wearing kind of reddish sunglasses and he's shooting a force blast out of his trunk. We have another one who is supposed to be Electra, very clearly. Like it's basically, mm -hmm. it's basically like the Electra outfit <laughs> with some elephant anatomy kind of slotted onto the end. And then... <laughs> We've got a samurai elephant in the foreground who has katanas for tusks and he's also holding a katana. And then there's another one in the background who I'm guessing is supposed to be like Colossus, but he, because mm -hmm. he's got that like organic steel with like, you know, the, the, the lines yeah. of plates on his arm. But then on top of that, he has a medieval sword that he's swinging. And Magneto himself looks like a band leader. Like he's got like music notes. <laughs> 
where where his horns are supposed to be. He's got like the the epaulets of a band leader and kind of like the military style jacket, but with the cape. And then it says, warning, any similarity between this book and the X-Men is probably just a cheap commercial ploy. So, <laughs> all right. I, I see what you're going for. I'm smelling what you're selling. Yo. Yeah, yeah, right. So I picked this up at a graphic novel store in Portland, Oregon. I think that was kind of a couple of years ago. Okay. They were in their random comic boxes that they had in there. Mm-hmm. I was so excited to find this, and I was immediately intrigued. So this was published by Marvel in September of 1989. Okay. was written by Roger Stern, penciled by Adam Blaustein, okay. inked by John Dagnostino, lettered by Janice Chang, colored by Bob Sharon, assistant editor was David Wool, editor was Howard Mackey, and editor-in-chief was Tommy DeFalco. <laughs> Making an appearance. I was going to say frequent so, cameo guest star Tom DeFalco. Frequent, frequent. So the story starts with a circus and a villain. So a train okay. of circus performers and animals were heading out of town right when a legit mustache twirling baddie was causing an explosion at the local nuclear reactor, and just one of the cars po- of course of course just one of the cars popped off like goes through mm-hmm. the nuclear reaction gets okay. back onto the train yeah of course like very much <laughs> and so four baby elephants were hit by the radiation and it changed them forever so they grew up in separate situations electrolux the only female member of the group worked in a restaurant after a greek family took her in Mm -hmm. Mammoth went east to find enlightenment and went on like an eat, pray, love type journey. Trunklops ended up in an orphanage and then subsequently (laughs) ended up with a trunk beam that he needs to use a ruby quartz plug in order to contain. Hmm. Just need that to sink in for us. Like poor Cyclops can never catch a break in any of his multiverse <laughs> incarnations, I swear. Nope. <laughs> and finally, there is Rumbo, who was kind of an adult the entire time, even though he was a kid technically. This guy basically went to the seediest parts of town and was like into smoking and drinking and like okay. fighting his way up until one day he's tricked, waking up with retractable sword tusks. Hmm. After this point, Rumbo goes to find his own way in the world, climbing a mountain, only to find four stooges, very much looking like the three stooges, but an extra, standing in red robes, with readers getting the backstory that these nincompoops have been posing as spiritual enlightened masters in Kung Fu, which seems to be quite the racket for them. Hmm. So Electrolux also happens to show up coincidentally, and the two are reunited, the Stooges tell them to find the other members of their broken up group with the vague direction to go fight evil. So the pair goes to find Mammoth, who is living a simple life, just living on a boat, fishing for himself. When they find him, he's having issues catching fish. So he turns into his new metal form, which we don't ever find out how he got this, nor where his pants are while he's doing this. Okay. And he dives in the water to get a fish finding instead a treasure chest, which he says, oh, this looks like it's probably a plot device. 
So Rumbo convinces Mammoth to put his new money towards the cause and they go find Trunklops. They do, in fact, find him. And of course, Trunklops is obsessed with Electrolux. So that is the reason he joins the team. Okay. But yeah, then we, of course, find out that Ellie, as I'm going to now refer to her as, because uh, they call her that, has unrequited feelings for Mammoth, who mm-hmm. just kind of brushes her off, telling her to, like, go take a cold shower and focus on saving the world. So is Mammoth, they... is he like, is he Wolverine? Is he like a mashup of Wolverine and like Daredevil? No, because Rumbo's like Wolverine. Okay. Because he was the one who had like retractable tusks. Okay, sorry. I got them confused. No, 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 no. That's okay. The big metal guy. Mammoth is supposed to be Colossus, like you said. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they then have a secret hideout. Okay, they just have it, right? All right, why not? It looks like a regular, like, small ship above, and it's named the HMS Peanut, by the way. Good. But underneath the ship going down to the bottom of the ocean is, like, a six-story bunker and, like, a tube going down. (laughs) And it's... So the first thing they have to fight are brooms carrying buckets of water, but the common is made that they have to finish fighting them in under a page so they don't have any copyright issues. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And after they make short work of the brooms, because they have to, I guess, Electrolux goes to take a shower and Trunklops does the old, you look like my dead girlfriend, while handing her a mirror trick. So she's grossed out, which, fair, and throws her wet towel on him. (laughs) Meanwhile, at a place called Magneta's Music School. There it is. A... A man is swindling families out of 50K per student by enrolling their children in this elite school. Mm. $50,000 was so much money back then. It was so much money then. It's still a lot of money now, but like it was so much money then. It was way more like you you could see a school being 50,000 a year, but like now, but then no, no freaking way. So the power pachyderms at that point, after they've just brought this student in and the guy is talking about how like i'm swindling all of these families having his little like villain power moment right so the power pachyderms break through a window stating that they're look they got a signal that there was a neo-nazi who's supposed to be on the premises and he's like there's no neo-nazis here and then they like they're like then what's this and they find this closet that's like just filled with like a picture of hitler and all of these nazi flags and like all of this other stuff and he's like i don't know what that is like that's not mine kind of a thing (laughs) like tell me a joke hits different 30 years ago than it does now god fucking tell me about it so it turns out that magenta or uh, magneta is really the evil villain clarinetto in disguise and he's the former head of the brotherhood of evil musicians i mean i love it no notes (laughs) they then run into the students themselves who are parodies on famous musicians at the time so i recognized willie nelson Madonna, Cindy Lauper, and maybe Bruce Springsteen. There okay. were a couple of others too. So they end up fighting very comically with like mic cords and stuff. And that's when Ellie is pushed into a vat of radioactive substance. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't quite feel alone in there. All right. So she breaks free and becomes Rogue Elephant. And she's like pure energy. 
And, and yeah, you see where this is going. And she's also singing lyrics of like every Power Girl song. All right. And <laughs> defeats the baddies in like two seconds. But the thing is, like, she's too powerful. And the team figures that out pretty quickly and decides that they have to try and destroy her before she destroys the world. So All right. the team tickles Trunklops' trunk because he's not going to do this himself because he, like, has a crush on her, right? And he sneezes out his Rose Quartz nose plug. And he fires a beam at Rogue Elephant. But instead of killing her it expelled the other radioactive being that had been possessing her. All right. So then they all make the long journey back to the top of the mountain where the Stooges tell them that they shouldn't be back. That's not how this works. But the pachyderms kick out the fake spiritualists and decide to take over their swindle, saying at the end, what, are you surprised? We can't go on risking our lives once a month. It's pretty solid. I like that ending. I'm not yeah. going to lie. <laughs> it was, honestly, the whole thing... It was a fun comic. Like, there were all of these little cameos of pop culture things. Like, E.T. got blasted at one point when Rogue was, like, blasted out power. It was showing, like, all of these different things that were getting blasted. Like, E.T. was one of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, incredibly fourth wall breaking. Poking fun at the mechanics and creators of comics themselves. It was so fun. It was also funny how they spun out the X-Men parody storyline with Clarinetto looking like, like you said, like Magneto, but with yeah. little music notes on his helmet, looking like a band leader with a cape yeah. on. <laughs> Which our band, band uniforms did have capes, so very true to form. Yeah, I don't know if our high school did. <laughs> I never went to a football game, so I don't know. Oh, yeah, I was in the marching band, which I'm sure doesn't surprise you at all. It also shouldn't surprise you in the least that I was the drum major one year. (laughs) This is my shocked face. Nerds unite. Nerds unite. (laughs) Who who would have thought I would have gone on to do something totally not nerdy, like have a comic book podcast? Right. Who would know? (laughs) Like, who could have foreseen? (laughs) So... I also really liked that the cover, like I showed you, was just such a direct parody itself. Right. I really do enjoy a comic that can just poke a little fun at itself, not take itself too seriously. It makes for a much more friendly and relatable comic. Right. Like, they're saying what we're all thinking at these points, which makes the comic just that much funnier. Yeah, and I mean, the funny thing is that I didn't have a lot of parody comics in my collection, so I grabbed one that looked like a parody, and it wound up not quite hitting. I'm really jealous that you got to read something this fun, because I've been sitting here <laughs> cackling the whole time while you've been narrating it. <laughs> it was so funny. I'll, I'll let you borrow this one. It's a really good one. All right, solid. And honestly, there were so many times that I just, like, legit laughed out loud. Like, for example, they do a full full page spread to show the underboat layer mm-hmm. and there's this little blurb on the side that says clip and save for future reference and then in parentheses <laughs> it says and ruin the value of your comic for all time <laughs> i love it because so many comics were so, doing that back then they were like oh yeah cut right. out these figures on like use these paper dolls on the back cover and you're like no right. don't do that no <laughs> no <laughs> my inner speculator just weeps I know, exactly. <laughs> so there were more little things like that that made me giggle. Definitely a fun time. There's also a note on the comic from the store that I got it from that the, the guy who curated it had put on there that the concept was originally planned as adult thermonuclear samurai elephants. 
Mm, okay. Which also would have been really funny. So, yeah, you know, I love me some Timint parodies. Yeah. So, so yeah, great find, and I'm definitely happy to have this one in my collection and have the ability to let you borrow it. <laughs> yeah. No, this sounds great, man. Yeah. Well, but that about wraps up our episode for this week. So we will see you next week for another deep dive. The week after that, we will go ahead and see you for another dollar dollar bin discovery. But until then, we'll see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan MacDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who's at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to TencentTakes.com or shoot an email to TencentTakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter for now. The official podcast account is TencentTakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Mastodon, Facebook, TikTok, and Blue Sky. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.